Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a blogger on personal finance in New Zealand, and on this podcast I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. The people I seek out to interview are often uncomfortable talking about money publicly, and in most cases they have never talked about their financial setup with anyone. And that's why you hear their stories from me and not directly from them, so that they can retain their privacy. You'll hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are giving their tips and their points of view on personal finance in New Zealand. So with that being said, this week I have spoken with a guy that I'm choosing to call Lucas. Now New Zealand is a fabulously multicultural place and I often find myself speaking with people who were not born here but have chosen to make this place their home. Now I don't set out to do this but I think it just reflects on the makeup of our fabulous wee country at the bottom of the world and today is no exception because Lucas was actually born in southern Europe but has called New Zealand home for the last 10 years. But before I bring you Lucas's money journey, Pocketsmith wanted me to tell you a little bit about them first. Today's episode is brought to you by a company that I really like to use, Pocketsmith. We all know what a Swiss Army knife can do, and Pocketsmith is kind of like that, but for personal finance software instead. It equips you with a multitude of the right tools to make all of life's money decisions, and it's New Zealand made. I'm currently planning a holiday with my family, but when will I have actually saved enough so I can get Johnny to go ahead and book it? Pocketsmith has accurate financial forecasting and it lets me see how much I'm projected to have so I can enjoy my next holiday without worrying about money. I can project 30 years ahead in fact, now that is a lot of holidaying. If you would like to try Pocketsmith, go to thehappysaver.com forward slash Pocketsmith and get 50% off the first two months on a monthly premium subscription. Pocketsmith, clever budgeting software that lets you see your financial past, present and future. I first heard from Lucas when he emailed me with a question on how to calculate savings rates when you have a mortgage and so began emails back and forth and it became clear to me that this was a guy who had a pretty interesting story to share. We've all heard about the Auckland housing market, the huge capital gains being made by those exiting the market and the huge mortgages being taken on by those trying to enter the market. So if you have ever wondered how it feels to live in a housing market like this, then the journey of Lucas and his young family, it's going to give you some insights, that's for sure. It looked to me as if Lucas and his wife, both in their early 30s, with two babies, had reached a bit of a crossroads where they had decided to make a bit of a turn and head in a different direction. Because although they appeared to have what seems to be the Kiwi dream, which is a house and a rental property, they've come to realise and understand that for their situation, they'll need to keep handing over money month in, month out to their bank to pay down debt in order to make themselves comfortable, say, in 25 to 35 years' time. And the thought of waiting this long actually no longer aligns with their goals in life. Lucas didn't want me to name the country he grew up in, he just wants that to stay private, but he said that it was a very corrupt country where you needed to be dishonest to get ahead and that life was actually pretty hard. He describes his parents as both actually very honest and hardworking people and his mother worked as a teacher and remained on exactly the same salary of 300 euros a month for 20 years. So to make ends meet, she also gave private uh, teaching lessons. So after an entire day at school, She'd come home, she'd cook dinner, teach after dinner, and that is how they got by. 
Now, Lucas recalls that the price of electricity was crazy, uh, something like 100 euros a month, so it took up a third of his mother's primary teaching wage. And his dad worked both for himself in his own business and at times for others, but the jobs he did never really brought quite enough money in. But they were both working as hard as they could to support Lucas and his sister. Lucas never knew much about the family financial situation and said that they were comfortable but never rich and sometimes they were even quite poor so it was varied and he described a situation where his father purchased a new car on finance in order to pay for it they rented out their own apartment and they all squeezed into his grandparents apartment to help make the car payments. Apparently this was a straw that almost broke the camel's back. His grandparents had actually grown up in a more financially secure time and they had actually gifted the apartment that they went on to rent out to Luca's parents, plus the grandparents owned a holiday home in a different area, so they were able to escape to that in the summer so that they could all have a bit of a break from each other. His parents raised Lucas and his sister with the strong message that they needed to study extremely hard and then they needed to work hard because at some point they will move away and live in a country where those skills will be appreciated. Now many of his parents' friends thought they were crazy to send their kids away, not only from home, but also from their own country. But they could see that there was just no future for them if they were to stay put. And just think about that for a moment. You know the only way for your kids to do well is for them to leave not only your town, but also your whole country. So without a doubt, his parents sacrificed a lot to make sure that their kids got the best education that they could, and this included using some of the small inheritance that they received to send Lucas to America to study for 10 months in the early 2000s, and this is when he was in his third year of high school. Now he really thrived at this school, and he loved the experience, and he did extremely well, always coming top in the class. And he tried to return to the US for more study, but he was denied a visa. So instead, he headed back to his high school and he worked hard there instead. He showed an aptitude for physics and computer science and was so strong academically that he received a full tuition scholarship to cover these private schooling fees. And he then won further scholarships that allowed him to go on to study at an American university in Bulgaria for four years. He had to cover the cost of the Hall of Residence, but he worked as a teaching assistant and he was actually able to manage these costs and if he kept his GPA, his grade point average, above a certain level, then he could gain more scholarships and financial assistance. So this became his goal and he stuck to it and by the time he finished his university, he actually had saved up €3,000 for himself. Now, to my shame, I had to ask Google to locate his country of birth on a map. So I wondered how on earth he managed to not only find New Zealand, but to end up living here. It was his sister and her husband, who was also from his birth country, who discovered New Zealand, and they had moved here in 2006. Lucas had the idea to actually try to move to America uh, once he had finished his study, but he decided that to be closer to his family was actually far more important. So he was about 23 when he came here to complete his master's in computer science, and he managed to get scholarships to cover almost all of his costs as an international student. He was also given financial support from an uncle from back home, but once Lucas began to work, he paid him back very quickly. So he came to New Zealand in about 2007 and said of New Zealand that once he started uh, at university and then he started working here that he felt like he just fitted right in. He met his now wife soon after starting work. She's a Kiwi who has a doctorate herself and Lucas has since gone on to become a New Zealand citizen. In 2014 his parents moved here permanently to join them and they sold their home but they retained that holiday home that had been in their family for generations and they've settled with his sister also in Auckland. So The whānau are all back together 
on the other side of the world from where they first began. His mother works, but his father is unable to due to poor health, and he said that his parents are still sacrificing for him. They've moved to a completely new country and a new way of doing things to ensure that their kids have a good life. And it's working. Their kids do have a great life. And now his parents have the support, both emotionally and financially, of their two children here at home in New Zealand. So Lucas has now been in the workforce for eight years, since 2011, and he found it easy to find a job as an app developer. And he started working in this area just as mobile apps were really starting to take off. He said it has been a very good career and he considers himself pretty good at what he does. He has worked for large, well-known banks, working on the app technology through to startups and design agencies. And after a brief and enjoyable stint in Wellington, he and his wife, they now live in Auckland, close to both of their families. He is still a high achiever and basically everywhere he works, he tries to improve himself and his knowledge. And that has made him the kind of go-to guy when companies are having certain production issues. And that in itself creates a lot of opportunities. In 2011, and straight out of study, he started on a salary of $46,000 a year, which was decent for the time, but low for the IT industry. But within a year or so, he was up to a salary of $76,000 a year. He'd met his wife, who was finishing off her doctorate, with a scholarship, I might add, and together they decided to buy a house in Auckland and move in together. Although he had a good income, his finances were a bit dire, since moving out of his sister's house and going flatting, those living costs, uh, they sucked up his income, and he had no money saved and just a car to his name, really. So they moved in with his soon-to-be wife's parents so that they could start to save for a house deposit, and the parents, they also decided to give them help to secure their first property by acting as their guarantor, which was a bold move. That means if Lucas could not pay his mortgage, the bank would come knocking at his in-law's door. Now, his fiancée had saved up about $6,000 from her scholarships that she'd received to study, and he quickly saved up another $4,000. So in 2012, they really stretched themselves, and they bought a house in Auckland for $463,000 with a tiny $10,000 deposit and a 30-year mortgage term. Apparently, even the real estate agent was surprised that the bank was okay with this low deposit, as was I. And I feel that this is where the story for Lucas and his family really begins, with that decision to take on basically a $453,000 mortgage with an income of just $76,000 a year and scholarship money from his wife while she studied. And a lot of risk, in my mind, had just entered the equation. Their initial plan was to stay in this house for at least 10 years and to actually stay living with her parents and rent this property out so that they could build up a bit more money to actually buy some furniture and what have you. But you know what it's like moving back in with your parents, right? I've done it myself as an adult. It's great for a short time, but long-term cracks will always start to appear because it's only natural. So they moved into the house they bought and were engaged to be married soon after. Between throwing a housewarming and an engagement party, they got a lot of really helpful gifts from people to help them kit the place out, and for everything else, they went shopping. They bought everything they needed brand new, and they did it with interest-free finance, thus adding more debt into their lives. Now, they'd been in the house for about a year when his wife's study ended, as did her source of income, her scholarship, and it meant that they would be stretching to pay the mortgage and keep up with payments on their other loans and also to cover their daily living expenses. Lucas, however, is an optimist and he thought that something would turn up by way of a better job for himself or, of course, his wife would also begin to work in the career for which she'd just finished her training. So he applied for a promotion at the company that he worked at and he was able to secure a slightly higher salary, but it was still going to be a bit of a struggle. But then he was approached by a company offering him work as a contractor, earning over $100,000 a year 
if he would move to Wellington. It sounded very appealing, so he texted his wife and he said, how would you like to move to Wellington? She said, definitely. And it's funny because when Johnny and I used to live and work in Wellington, he phoned me one day and he said, I've been offered an opportunity to start a company. How do you feel about moving to Christchurch? And I said what Lucas's wife said. Definitely. It sounded like a lot of fun to me. They decided that it would help set them up and they rented out their house in Auckland with a one-year lease and they moved down the country to rent themselves, this time in Wellington. She found a job in her field and they would regularly fly home for visits to family. And during this time, he did well at work, like really well, and his salary increased to $220,000 a year. But he made it known that if the opportunity were to present itself, then they would actually like to return to Auckland to be closer to friends and family. And this is what actually happened. He remained as a contractor with that company and they returned to Auckland. They took the opportunity between moves to fit in a wedding and a European holiday before settling into things once again in Auckland, back in their own property once again. So the money was rolling in as together they were making $300,000 a year, give or take, and they continued to pay their normal mortgage payments. They didn't increase their payments, yet very quickly there was additional money being added to their bank account as savings. So what would you do if this was to happen to you, a young couple in your 20s? Yep, he bought a brand new car, a sporty one for cash, uh, and they still have it today. And luckily that car can fit kids in it too, which is a bonus. Now at the time they purchased this, he actually wanted the upspect model, but resisted. And instead they promised themselves that when he turned 30, they would buy it. But they put the brakes on that idea and they decided not to spend so much money on, in his words, stupid things. But that begged the question. What could they do with this money instead? Now, even as I was hearing his story, my thoughts were shouting, pay down your mortgage. But their thinking was a little different. And it was, well, why not buy another house instead? So they decided to do just that, to buy a second house. They found a house again in Auckland that they liked and they wanted to move into. It was close to their families. And three months after moving back into their original house in Auckland, they moved out again and into this new property and they rented out that first house. They paid $840,000 for the second house in Auckland in December 2014 and a $30,000 cash gift from Lucas's parents. It helped make up the deposit that they needed. And hindsight showed them that prices were to increase quite rapidly after they bought each of their properties. So they're making good capital gains. Now things were going well. They had a combined excellent income of about $300,000 and they were making their mortgage payments. They were paying off the other items they'd purchased. They had nice things and they enjoyed some great holidays. And despite their high income, they would still buy things using debt and interest-free terms. But they felt that although they were taking on debt, it was in their mind calculated debt and they thought they could handle it because of their incomes. So if you're keeping up with the math, by this stage, they had $1.2 million in mortgage debt, and they were about 30 years old. Their first property had a $400,000 mortgage on it, and it was now rented out, and the second house, which they had purchased with a $70,000 deposit, had an $800,000 mortgage on it. Lucas agreed that $1.2 million is a lot of debt, but their bank could see that they were making good incomes, and they didn't have a problem with lending them such a large amount. They had great combined salaries and they could apparently easily afford this level of lending. But things began to change for Lucas and his wife when they decided to have their first child. There had been a few issues at his work, a new manager had started, and things were getting a bit strained and political. Office politics, we've all experienced them, right? He had a feeling that things were not going well and in early 2016, just one week after bringing their first baby home, his contract was terminated and his income stopped. Now, 
This was obviously a really stressful time, a new baby, little sleep being had and the pressure to find another job and although they did have mortgage insurance it didn't cover the scenario. But he knew that his skills were sought after and sure enough within four weeks of having been given his notice he had three job offers to consider. But whereas he had been working as a contractor within a large company and could ask a much higher salary, the employment landscape had changed somewhat. These same companies were now employing programmers as permanent staff on a salary. Although all the jobs he was offered were really good opportunities, and certainly within his field of expertise, the best salary he was offered and the one he accepted was $132,000, which was a large reduction in what he was used to and what the bank lent him money on. But they felt they would be okay. They'd built up a good cash buffer or an emergency fund, if you like, because they knew that his wife would be home on maternity leave and they'd set money aside to cover her missing income. But they never anticipated that the real emergency would be of a different kind, two missing salaries. So he took the new job and he worked really hard and they used their emergency fund to top up mortgage payments each month. And after a year of maternity leave, his wife was able to return to part-time work again and get some income coming in. And they once again started to build up this emergency fund and got it to about $30,000 when they decided to have a second child, meeting another period off work. Now his new employer turned out to be not all that they'd seemed in the job interview. The payment of his much needed paycheck was erratic. They didn't pay him KiwiSaver as they were legally obligated to do and nor were they paying his tax as they were also legally obliged to do. So it was stressful and in an effort to relieve some of that pressure they escaped to Rarotonga for a short holiday but their troubles soon followed them. And it came to a point where he was trying to relax and enjoy himself but was checking his bank account daily because his salary payment was two weeks late and he was about to not have enough money to make his mortgage payment. And despite his employer promising to improve things and even raising his salary to $140,000 a year, Lucas decided to actually move on from this job. He really wanted to get back into the contracting market so he could make more money. But he was only finding, and being offered I should add, lower paid permanent employment. Now in a normal situation this would be a good problem to have but even when he was offered a role for $120,000 which don't get me wrong this is an excellent salary in New Zealand he could not accept it because he could not afford to take such a low income. This was simply not enough money to cover their bills. So he took another role in a startup where he turned down the share option they were offering so that he could take the higher salary of $130,000 instead. He was to stay there for about 15 months and just six months in they didn't have enough money to give him the pay rise he was asking for so they again offered him shares and this time he accepted them giving him a very small stake in that company. Now at the same time that he was working a full-time job he was also picking up extra work in the evenings and he was working a lot of hours just to keep them afloat financially. And then the opportunity came to work in his current role as the company approached him and offered him a six-month contract earning money similar to what he used to earn in the good old days of being a contractor. The previous employer was extremely disappointed to lose him and the fact was that he didn't leave because he was unsatisfied with their company or the work he was doing. He only left because he needed the money to keep his ship afloat. This contract has already had one extension, he told me, and the hope is that he can remain there until the work is complete, at which time he will need to source another role ASAP. Finding work seems to be a constant job in itself, and he really has to argue his corner for every contract he takes on so he can maximise the money he's earning. 
And this made me think about insurance and how he covers himself for unexpected events. He and his wife have life insurance plus trauma and income protection, but he is paying a pretty penny for this at about $400 a month. Now the point of insurance is that if one of them were to become seriously incapacitated or God forbid die, then they would have enough money to cover this debt and ongoing costs. So they need a lot of cover to make that happen and as he found out, even using a broker to help them, it is so hard to find the right insurance for a scenario that you just can't predict. This constant turnover of jobs in a quest to earn more and more money had me asking the obvious question of Did it ever occur to Lucas that all he was doing was servicing debt with his money and what kind of life was this giving him and his family now and did he consider that if he had less debt he could have stayed in a job that he was actually enjoying, albeit on a smaller but still pretty good salary? Well he said that as a couple they sat together many times to look at whether they should sell the investment property. They had spreadsheets, he had the numbers written down, they knew that they were propping up their rental property by injecting a further $6,000 a year into it to cover the mortgage because the rent alone was not enough. But at the same time they saw this as a way to create wealth with possible capital gains and a way to give their two children a handout and a hand up when they were grown. And this is the conversation that just kept going through their minds. But it never really occurred to him that if he did sell the house, he could reduce the mortgage by a lot. They made calculations about selling the house and what size loan they would be left with. But they also rationalised and reasoned that they would lose rental income that was going some way towards their rental property mortgage. And with all the math they were doing, the rental property always seemed just worth keeping, even if they had to top it up each month with their own money. And with everything they had going on, they were just breaking even. And maybe this was enough. By now they've built up equity in their property and I think that if both houses sold they'd be worth about $1.8 million, meaning they've created equity via appreciation in the value of the houses of about $600,000 in seven years. And when I asked him what his greatest financial triumph was, he said it was this. And he thinks they've done very well and he could never have imagined when he left the country of his birth that he would have even one house, let alone two. But I had to ask, at what cost? (laughs) They still have a $400,000 mortgage on their first property, the one they paid $463,000 for seven years ago. So in seven years, they've only knocked $63,000 off their debt, having paid a lot of interest to the bank. But what does this matter, right? The property's appreciated in value and it's now worth probably double. So the math still stacks up. With their primary residence, say it's worth a million dollars now, with an $800,000 mortgage, they have equity in that now too, about $200,000. So is $600,000 of equity combined, meaning the money they would get if they sold both properties, worth the pressure that a $5,000 monthly mortgage payment to service $1.2 million of debt is placing on them? By my reckoning and my poor math, if they stuck on this path, they would have a mortgage term of 45 years and over that time they will pay back $2.6 million, including interest of $1.4 million on the $1.2 million that they borrowed. And that's without factoring in um, upkeep of two houses that are bound to wear out and need a lot of maintenance over that period of time. And remember that these two, they're in their early 30s with two babies in the house talk about pressure, talk about risk, and I'm sure that my own blood pressure was going up just talking about it with them. But they've come to realise these risks themselves, and they've started to realise that for their situation, they'll need to keep handing over money every single month until they are old in order to make themselves comfortable in their old age. 
So I asked him if they were given $10,000 right now, what would he do with it? And he said he would go on a holiday with his family because with all of these job changes almost once a year, he just wants a holiday. It's all been quite exhausting. And I feel exhausted just thinking about it. So to be honest, speaking with Lucas, it sounds like his life is a lot of work and less about fun. So I asked him, well, what is the most extravagant thing he's purchased for himself in the last 90 days? Well, he paid $320 and he went on a charter fishing trip with his dad. Now, because his parents have only been here for a small number of years, they are not entitled to any government superannuation because they've not paid tax in this country. After 10 years, they will be able to receive it, but not quite yet. So in the meantime, his mum works to support them and both Lucas and his sister help out their parents as is the expectation in their culture. So to head out on a fishing trip was Lucas's shout and a really enjoyable thing to do together. He is very happy that his parents are now close by and he can spend time with them whenever he wants. And I could not help but think that being more financially free would let him do this more often. So Lucas and his wife, they started to question what do they want with their lives, with their children, with their jobs and with their family? What goal is next? They've always set themselves goals and they've achieved them, you know, like buy a house, buy a sporty car, buy a bigger house. But now things have changed and they've realised that being saddled with such an enormous amount of debt at a young age is actually really restricting their options. For example, they would like to do a long OE together with their children and base themselves somewhere overseas and live and work in a different country and experience a different way of life. His wife has never had that experience. He kind of feels like he's still on his OE while he's, you know, based himself in New Zealand these days. And another thought is they think they might like to run a business together one day or would his wife like to go back to work or would she prefer to stay at home with her children? Other ideas, should they just keep working as they are or sell up everything and move? Should they just sell one house and double down on paying the other off? They could dream up goals all day long, but they came to the conclusion that it was never going to be easy to achieve any of them while owing this much money to the bank. So in the summer of 2018-2019, they started educating themselves about personal finance and investing, and they started creating a plan to work to. And they decided that their next goal is a less materialistic one and it is to focus on family. And together they decided that his wife, she does want to be at home with their children instead of outsourcing them to someone else so that she can head back to work to pay for the childcare and also the mortgage. But for that to happen, it means reducing the amount of debt that they have and majorly cutting back their expenses. They have always taken on debt because they could, quote, afford it. They have always purchased things interest-free, so they avoid paying interest. But if they stop buying so many things, they wouldn't need to borrow money in the first place. So after much discussion as a couple, the rental house is now on the market. The for sale sign is up. And as I write this in early April 2019, the open homes have begun. They've decided that they are now starting their debt-free journey and that the financial reset has begun and that they are over being drowned in debt. This is it. And if putting a house on the market was not proof enough of this, Lucas actually also sent me a photo of his credit cards and his store cards, all of which had been chopped in half. And he uttered a word I'm sure has never been in their vocab before, minimalism. Now, added to that are two other words not often used, debt-free. After all, they had been taking on debt to make money, or so they thought. And this is the plan as best they know it. They are keeping in mind that even the best laid plans can change. They are hoping to get $819,000 for the rental property, 
over that amount would be very nice, of course. Uh, the real estate agent fees are a whopping $27,000 based on that price. Um, and the bank will let them put the money they release from the house into their primary mortgage, which will bring the mortgage on the home they live in down to a more manageable $400,000 or so. So this would be their total debt. Their plan is to then double down on paying this mortgage off, not mucking around with the minimum payment plan that they've been following to date, but instead getting stuck in and bringing the term of their mortgage down to 15 years, still a long time, but they'll be paying $3,000 a month instead of $5,000. Now once this is done, then they would up their investing with the money that comes in once this debt is gone. And Lucas said he has always been interested in investing, he just never had any money to actually invest. Now remember I said that he did a year of study in the US when he was in his teens. Well it turns out that he was based in Nashville and over the summer just gone as he was researching personal finance he heard the name Dave Ramsey come up. Now he's a guy who talks endlessly about being good with money um, and he happens to be based in Nashville which was what caught Lucas's ear. So it caught his attention and Lucas has started to listen to him. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Dave Ramsey and take a listen to his podcast. He's got a daily show where people phone in with their money problems and he has a very no-nonsense approach where he gives some very straightforward advice or as he always says, advice your grandma would give. And he's helped millions of people get rid of debt and not take on any more. Lucas and his wife have decided that once this property sells, they're going to build up an emergency fund of three months of expenses as a safety net, and he is also going to budget and track his incomings and his outgoings. He said that he has budgeted-ish in the past, especially when he was really struggling with two mortgages uh, and no income, and they really tightened up on their spending, but he said it's loosened up a bit again. Plus, he has a very small child and a new baby in the house, and with lack of sleep and working full-time, he's pretty exhausted, and he has been putting budgeting off, and who can blame him? So he's going to get back to tracking it much more closely once that house is sold. And now they plan to be mortgage-free by the age of 48. Now, in the meantime, uh, he has moved his and his wife's Kiwi Savers to Superlife. Uh, combined, they've got about $80,000 in there. She's putting in the minimum contribution of 1042 per year into her Superlife 100 fund, which is an aggressive fund. Uh, so that'll mean she'll get the government contribution of $521. And he's investing via his work because although he is a contract worker on a fixed term, they're actually paying his Kiwi Saver as he was on a permanent contract which is extremely useful to him. So they actually pay KiwiSaver for him and his PAYE, meaning he does not have to worry about tax as a sole trader, which is a bit of a win. And he puts in 3% from his wages and his employer puts in 3% too. And this has been the case since July last year. So he's been able to give his KiwiSaver a real boost in the last year, which he is very happy about. He uses Superlife because he can go in and set up his own portfolio and he's spread his KiwiSaver over eight different funds and his is a balanced portfolio, he told me. They've also set up some funds through Invest Now, and this was done after discovering the joyous world that is personal finance. And they did exactly what I see a lot of people do. They got excited. Now, don't get me wrong, this is completely awesome, but they did too much too soon before realising that they were actually overstretching themselves. When the house sells and things settle down, it's his intention to follow the advice of Dave Ramsey and put 15% of their income into retirement and investment accounts while still paying down the debt. This way, they're protecting their future and taking advantage of compound interest and that sort of thing, while also sorting out their debt today. So when the debt is gone, the investing will really step up. Lucas said they had visited a baby show in Auckland and there was a company there talking about saving for your children's education. 
and they went ahead and they signed up to it. After all, who doesn't want to help their kids out as they grow up? Now, I'm not going to tell you who the company was because it was a terrible idea. And after six months, they realized they were paying crazy fees for this investment. So they forfeited the interest and they pulled their money out and put the money into Invest Now funds for their children instead. But they have since stopped contributing to these investments because they can't afford this extra money each month and have decided to focus on debt repayment and KiwiSaver instead. Now, many people try to run before they can walk, which is completely understandable, but they still have a hefty mortgage and that needs all of their attention first. But even the simple saving strategy of investing for his kids that he has since put on ice has taught him a valuable lesson in compound interest. Previously, he would always save hard for a year and then spend the lot right back down to zero. But with this money, it's not his to spend, it's for his kids and he has put it in there for them and he can't touch it. Well, technically he could, but he won't. And miraculously, it grows, and this is a sign of things to come, and I think it brings a saying to mind, those who understand interest earn it, and those who don't pay it. Right, well, so that is his plan thus far, and once things settle down, the next goal they are going to aim for is for him to reduce his hours of work so that he gets to spend more time with his wife and kids and with their wider family, and he's anticipating that this will happen in two to three years' time. Now, I like to find out what tools and resources people use on their journey so that you might be able to use some of them yourself. So I asked him for a few suggestions. He likes the podcast Afford Anything by Paula Pant, but he said that he is a completionist and if he is going to listen, he has to start at the very beginning. So he is busy working his way through 185 episodes. Now, he said there was a blog in New Zealand called The Smart and Lazy that he really enjoyed, as did I. And although it's still live, no one has contributed to it for a couple of years now. So if the makers of that are listening to this, um, it's time that you started writing again, please. Now, finding outside resources that you can relate to is really important because it touches on another important point. Who can you talk to about money? For Lucas, as with most of the people who agree to talk to me for my podcast, there is generally no one that they can talk about money with apart from their spouse. Uh, Being able to hear about what other people are doing with their money really helps others decide what to do with their own money. And I know this to be true because people write to me and they tell me that hearing other people's stories on this podcast has really helped them with the decisions they need to make. So there we go. Um, That actually takes us up to where our first conversation ended. When we spoke, it was actually quite late at night and he was at home by himself looking after his two young children, um, but one of them woke up and and I needed to let him go. So we left it there and a couple of weeks later, we picked up the phone again to finish off. And of course, I was very interested to know how the Auckland house sale was coming along. And he told me that initially the agent was using the deadline sale process, which in my mind is surely the most annoying way uh, to buy a house for any buyer goes like this the buyer asks how much do you want for your house and the agent says I can't tell you that you have to write it down and say what you are prepared to pay and we will let you know if your random guess matches the seller's expectations so personally very tongue-in-cheek I've always thought that this uh, was the job of a real estate agent to actually know what a house is worth just a crazy notion I had sorry I digress but after the first two open homes there was not enough interest so they were next advised to put a price on it. What a fabulous idea. So which they've now done and as I mentioned it's $819,000. Now immediately once people know what they wanted for it there were heaps more interested parties coming through the house and a couple have even been back for a second viewing which is a really positive sign. And also one of the tenants has moved out and the other is staying on but they're paying a reduced rent 
So their rental income is now also down. And he said that if after four to six weeks it is not sold, they may turn around and rent it out again and keep it because at the moment they can afford to keep it. Stop the truck. (laughs) Did he just say what I thought he said? Now, I was really surprised to hear this, given the conversation that we had had earlier about making the decision to rid themselves of mortgage debt and actually get some type of life back. But Lucas said that they don't want to sell it for less than they think the house is worth. And he has come up with this price of 819000 via the homes.co.nz and the TradeMe websites, plus by using the ANZ CoreLogic estimated market value, all of which point to a figure of about 18 Now, at the same time that he was thinking of doing an about turn on the decision they'd made to sell, he agreed that if he loses his job again, which let's face it is a distinct possibility given the field he works in, then that will put pressure on him. But he said he is saving a buffer from his salary for this so that he is not stressed out. Yet. Now, if they don't manage to sell the house, they will go back to a long, long discussion about what is right for them. Before I wrap up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor. They help me bring you this podcast for free. A big thank you to Pocketsmith for helping me bring this episode to you today. I use Pocketsmith to help me make great money decisions and keep track of my personal finances. And you can too by going to thehappysaver.com forward slash Pocketsmith to get 50% off the first two months on a monthly premium subscription. Pocketsmith, clever budgeting software that lets you see your financial past, present and future. So this is where we left it, I'm afraid, and I'm going to need to leave you and me hanging. But don't worry, I will bring you an update in the future because like you, I'm crushed at being left in the lurch here and hanging. I mean, what will Lucas do? And as at early April 2019, Lucas, he's poised at a crossroads and I'm just intrigued as to what's going to happen next. Will he stay on the treadmill that is the New Zealand housing market where you pay huge amounts of interest to a bank in the hope that the value of the property soars and you can sell it for capital gains, where you work every hour you can so that you can keep juggling payments? Is this how he will become wealthy? Eventually, or not? Or will he step off the treadmill, spend time with his family and use the very high income he and his wife have to pay down a smaller debt and invest in other places for their future instead? What path of risk are they likely to head down? Now, our out-of-whack housing market is enabling people to place a huge amount of pressure on themselves where they struggle to find the balance between working out the math of the situation and the pull of what their gut instinct and their heart is actually telling them to do. To me, the decision would be a really easy one, but Lucas is not me and it's his journey, I'm telling, and not mine. And the struggle he is facing about what he should do was a story so worth telling because the experience he is having is just not unique to him. There are thousands of Kiwis in exactly the situation all across New Zealand and particularly in the Auckland region and I hope that hearing about Lucas has given you some insight into what might or might not be your very own situation. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and review an Apple podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do share this with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about the podcast and I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.